invite you to turn to uh, Joshua chapter 20. My name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, I'd like to welcome you here. A tradition that we always do. Uh, we got to do it, right? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Amen. Uh, got a few things. Just want to let you know, uh, some of you are visiting and you may have seen our new facility out on Hartman Road. Um, we're going to get there, we think, before Jesus comes back, um, but we're not sure. Uh, just pray. We're waiting on the delivery, no lie, of three pieces of plumbing, and, uh, and then we'll be able to have our final inspection for plumbing and electric, probably right after that, and I think by the end of the week, it looks like we'll get our final inspection for the whole building for occupancy uh, this week. So, yeah. <laughs> don't clap yet because you always have two final inspections, which I don't get that. You fail the first one because they have to earn their money, and uh, so then you have your other financial or your other final inspection. So sometime, we think, uh, here soon, we're going to be uh, finally inspected. Um, <laughs> from the Department of Redundancy Department. Um, we'll move on here. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if you guys remember this. A um, couple of years ago, back in 1999, NASA was building a satellite to send out to Mars. And they were all excited about it, send it out there, take a bunch of fancy pictures, things like that. And so they built this thing uh, in conjunction with a couple different companies. Lockheed Martin was one of the, the contractors they hired to help build the satellite. And the launch went flawless. Excellent launch, got up into outer space there. I don't know if we have technical terms here, but got up out of our atmosphere. Nothing blew up, got over there. They're about ready to send the coordinates to go to Mars, and the thing starts going off course. And I don't know if you remember this, there was panic that set in because they could not figure out why this thing was going off course, and then they ultimately lost the satellite. And what they ended up discovering was Lockheed used English measurements and NASA used the metric system. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> 165 million dollars gone. Doesn't it make you feel good? Like when you hear about, oh, that's like rocket science. And my kids in grade school know that. A meter is not the same as a yard or a foot's not, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what to do with that. <laughs> that was awesome. We're putting this one up on the website, this service, just for that. That is great. Oh my goodness. We're moving through the book of uh, Joshua here, and uh, you, as we go through this, you may be thinking, what in the world does Joshua have to do with Easter? But hang on, because I think you'll see the correlation as we, we go through this. Uh, uh, Israel has settled the land, been in it about seven years now, and God says, hey, wait a minute, now that you guys are settled, there's still some more stuff to do, but I need you guys to do this thing. And, and what it is crazy enough is it has to do with manslaughter, which you're like, what? Seven years in and God brings this up and it's basically 
What do you do in a society when someone accidentally kills somebody else? And so God has all these ideas about what to do and how to take care of it. He's very concerned about the taking of someone's life, even so much as to orient the whole nation around these instructions. And so he says here in Joshua chapter 20, the Lord said to Joshua, say to the people of Israel, appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him to the city and give him a place and he shall remain with them. If the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is the high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town in which he's fled. I remember when I first heard these, this idea of a city of refuge, um, I just thought, man, that is like so cool that God gets accidents. He gets mistakes. It's like God understands that OSHA can't cover it all. And there's room in his kingdom for accidents. And I'm not saying that to cheapen life, but it's just so comforting to know that's our God. And it's not about cheapening life because I think even this is about preserving life. Being created in the image of God endows every person with dignity, with immeasurable worth, with value. God said early on in Exodus, he said, hey, look, do not commit murder. It's one of the famous Ten Commandments, the moral law of God. And if you follow the logic, though, because human life is so valuable, it would be utterly senseless to go and kill another person because of an accident. And it's interesting, it even refers to Moses here in chapter 20, and, and what happened is when God gave the Ten Commandments, he did this little aside conversation with Moses, said, hey, hang on here in a sec, maybe in a couple years, because I'm going to bring a law here that's going to protect people who commit or who kill someone by accident. We call that manslaughter. Verse 3 defines this as someone who strikes a person without intent or unknowingly. And it goes on to talk about did not hate him in the past. So there's, there's nothing about this except that it was just a, an accident. And Numbers 35, Deuteronomy chapter 4, Deuteronomy chapter 19, they're all spelling, actually devoted to, to this idea of the cities of refuge, and they spell out at least seven to eight years before this is written, it spells out this whole idea of these cities of refuge. And it even gives examples. Let's say someone's out in the forest with a, with a friend and they're using an ax and somehow the ax slips and kills the friend. Or what if you're working with some heavy stones and somehow accidentally a stone gets loose or whatever and falls on someone. Those kind of things that are an accident. 
And what's interesting is you go down verse 9, it says this, these cities were designated for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them, that anyone, anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. It's for everyone. I love God's heart here. It's not about like Israel is supposed to be this chosen people and nobody gets anything. He chose Israel to bless everyone. And he creates this, this place where you can come and experience the kingdom where everyone has value, everyone has worth. Spare the person. That's mercy. It's a law of refuge. And, and, and it's interesting, even as he does this, it, there, there's this idea of God's mercy. Mercy says that you're not going to get what you do deserve, withholding judgment. They, they should have died. And in the culture of that time, if someone was killed, uh, and it wasn't even in Israel alone, it was that culture of that whole region, there was someone called the avenger of blood. And the family would determine either a, a son or a male cousin that would go and seek justice. And it wasn't just about, oh, you killed my brother, because in that day and time, the fabric of, of the tribe and the family was so big. It's just hard to imagine. So you take the life of a person, it has this ripple effect throughout the whole tribe, not only in terms of relationship, but in terms of economy, in terms of influence, and in terms of history and, and everything. And so it was an injustice not to the immediate family, it was an injustice as they saw it to the whole tribe. But the problem is if you demand justice when it isn't a crime, it, it starts to spiral out of control. Because imagine this, if you have the manslayer here who has just killed someone by accident and you have the avenger of blood says, okay, I'm going to go kill you, but, but it's by accident. And so he goes and he avenges the death and now kills the manslayer. The manslayer's family can then say, well, that was actually murder because this was by accident and you did this intentionally. And so you start to see these family feuds that can spiral out of control. And God puts this in here to create a system or an environment, a place where mercy rules. And so a manslayer would, or someone who killed somebody by accident, would run to the city of refuge. And, and, and there, it wasn't just a lock. You could just come in and say, hey, I, by accident, I killed somebody, let me in. They would actually hold the, hold the court hearing. It says that they had actually hold them outside the town. They were outside the city walls or at the gate. They have a hearing to find out. Or if you read, it says that they would wait. Sometimes the, the uh, avenger of blood would come and they would have a trial to find out both sides of the story to make sure that they are making the right decision. And, and it actually, if this person was guilty of murder, they would hand the person over to the avenger of blood. If they were innocent in the sense of not intentionally trying to kill someone, they would then bring them into safe harbor and house them. And it's interesting, they, it says do not give them over. So they would actually then provide a safe place and then fight for the protection of this person if it came to that. What's interesting also as you look at this is this idea that it's connected to the priest 
So you come along, and if you get in there, once the priest dies, you're, you're free. And I'm sure everybody, whoever had to be a part of that, was like, how old's the priest? How old's the high priest? Because I could be here a long time. I mean, that's what we'd be thinking, right? If he's old, you're like, okay, I may survive to go back home. But I think it's more than just the life of the priest. I think it's the connection to God. He attaches this whole idea of mercy to himself. The priest was the conduit the people had to God back in the day. And this law becomes rooted in the eternal, unchanging existence of God. It's an absolute. It's not subjective. Something everyone could count on. In verse 7, it talks about the cities. Six cities, Kadesh, Shechem, Kiriath Arba, Bezer, Reuben, Ramoth, Golan. You see them, and, and they're, they're spread out kind of. I mean, I feel sorry for the guys way down south, Simeon area. They got, I got a long haul, but they're spread out geographically over the predominant mount of the land. And in Deuteronomy chapter 19, God actually says, look, I want you to make roads to these cities. And as I was reading through and studying this, there's historians say that they, they made these major roads all the way to all these cities. And every spring, they would go and clear the road, repave the road. They would actually repair bridges. And, and it's said that they put signs along the road, markers, so people would know a city of refuge is this way. I mean, wouldn't that be cool? You're walking into this country and, and you see signs, city of refuge, city of refuge. They wanted to make it easy to find and easy to get to. What's the worst mistake you've ever done? And I'm not talking about just like a mistake where you lose $165 million. That's a bad one. The kind of mistakes, though, that hurt people. The ones where you just, you wish you could hide. I'm, I'm sure those scientists wish they could just crawl into a rock someplace and never, never have to talk about it again, never have to think about it again. I mean, I can't even imagine that. I know one of the worst mistakes I ever made, it was back in high school. I was a junior in high school. And this is awful. I mean, this is back. I was, I was just dumb. Um, I can't believe I did this. I mean, I was just like, yeah, everything's happy. And... Uh, um, I had a friend, Nathan, who liked this girl, Melanie, and, and they kind of dated for a while in high school, and then they broke up, and Nathan never got over her, and she ends up liking this other guy named Donnie, and her and Donnie get married. And uh, so I'm invited to the wedding. Nathan's not. Hmm. Uh, and Nathan never actually quit until the final of the wedding day. But uh, Nathan gave me a note, said, hey, can you give this to Melanie and to Donnie? And I'm like, okay, I'll give it to Donnie. And uh, I'm not thinking about how this would probably be inappropriate. Like, if he wants to give a note, you give the note. I ain't delivering this thing. So I give the note. I don't even read it, which was really dumb, really dumb. I, well, I shouldn't even, shouldn't even take the thing. So I walk through the procession, the, 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 the reception line thing, and, and I hand the note. Uh, and I said, hey, this is from Nate. 
And uh, she reads it, and her face goes white, and I'm like, oh, no. And then she hands it to Donnie, and he's like, oh. And I'm like, oh. And then her mom just says, grabs my, she reaches over, grabs my, thank you for coming, and pulls me over here and just ushers me out of the line and almost out of the room. And I'm like, what just happened? And I, I, I had this moment where I discovered something in that moment. I saw their faces, and, and it was one of these moments where I'm like, I want to run. I want to run. I want to hide. I want to get out. This is a wedding day, and I'm bringing something that totally puts a cloud on the whole thing. Foolishly. Had no idea what was going on. You ever have moments where you look at your life and you go, why? Why did I do that? How come I let that happen? Sometimes it can be accidents. Can you imagine that moment where this person, by accident, kills someone, what would you do? I mean, you'd probably be trying, if there was bleeding, you'd try to, be stop, you'd try to stop the bleeding, right? I mean, you'd be doing whatever you can to patch it and, and, and stop, or, or you're trying to, like, hold them, and it's okay, and you're screaming for help, and right, it's, panic sets in, and you're overwhelmed by this, and, and, and then a realization sets in, there's nothing you can do, this person's dead. And what would you do in that moment? I think what most of us would do would be, it'd be overwhelming sense of what have I done, what, what happened, it was an accident, but I've just taken a life, I, I don't know what to do, I mean, panic sets in, uh, shock sets in, you can't think straight, you're just overwhelmed, and meanwhile, your family or your, your friends right there are saying, you, you gotta go, we gotta get you out of here. We got to get you out of here. You got to go to a city of refuge right now. And the last thing on your mind is refuge, right? Who cares about refuge? I just took someone's life. And they're saying, look, you can think about that later. You got to go. You got to run. We'll get you some food. We'll get you some money. You got to run. Get to that city. Stories are told of, uh, at least as I was reading uh, and studying this, of, of chases. Not every time, but some people literally, it's, it's a run for your life with, with the avenger of blood hot on your heels. Looking for the signs of refuge. A famous Christian philosopher once said, as Francis Shaver, he said, while we read the Bible forward, we only understand it by going backwards. What did he mean by this? Well, you don't really understand city of refuge and what God was doing here until you get to Christ. And once you start to see Christ and what he did, when you see him come, you see Good Friday and him dying on the cross for, for us. 
and, the, and you see the, the penalty and the punishment taken for us, and then you realize, oh, wait a minute, we killed the high priest. We killed the high priest on the cross, buried, resurrected, new life raised from the dead and the, the power we sing these songs. Christ is risen from the dead. Come awake, come awake. And they, they point to this idea that Christ, we have cities of refuge, but the cities of refuge are rooted in the God who is refuge. And that Christ is refuge. Now as you look at Christ and then we look back on on Joshua chapter 20. The people who ran to refuge were innocent of crime. But we, as we come before Christ, we're guilty. First of killing him. We're all participated in that. But we're also guilty of breaking God's law. We've all committed evil. That's why he came was to take the punishment for that. But it's not even that we've committed evil. The Bible talks about this idea. It it uses this word that we not only commit evil, but there is a deep brokenness inside of us. A heart brokenness that is so deep and so all-encompassing that we can't restore or heal it. It leads us to shake our fist at God. It leads us to control our lives. It leads us to reject refuge and try to find our own. It's a brokenness if it's not left, if it's not unchecked, leads to a greater and greater love and desire for more, more evil, more sin to the point that we start to pay for it. We start to earn our money and that's where it all goes. We'll sink our money into it. We start to sink our time into it. We spend all our time doing it. We, we start dreaming about it. We start fantasizing about it. Everything becomes consumed around this universe of me and what I want and mine. And, and it's not just about choosing evil. It's also about refusing to do the good leaving good undone. That's how pervasive this brokenness is. And if you're struggling, thinking, I don't know, you know, about this whole thing of deep brokenness, let me just say, if we could show a video of your life or my life and our thoughts and our actions, how many of us would run out of this building. If people could literally see, start with the Ten Commandments, right? What do we worship? It says don't murder. Who do we kill in our minds and our hearts? Don't steal. What do we steal? Don't, don't commit adultery. What do we lust after? What are we fantasizing about? Covet. What, when you, if people could see the video of the, the people in your own life, even friends, you covet their stuff, you envy. You just go down the list. I mean, I'll just keep this real. I, I, I would run 
And I would pray I'd never see anybody again who saw that. And I think we're all in the same boat. You know, as you think about the avenger of blood, God the Father says, look, I I will have my holiness. My holiness cannot be violated. My righteousness cannot be violated. It needs to be avenged. Someone has to pay for this. And he says, well, if it's your sin, you will pay for it with your death. And it ultimately, separation from God, eternal judgment in hell. But the amazing story of Good Friday is Jesus says, no, 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 I will take the place, take my life, avenge the righteousness, I'll take the judgment. The one we killed, it's amazing. He stands in our place, we kill our high priest. He becomes our refuge. And then Christ, it's interesting, as he dies, we are free. When he dies, we're free. His resurrection is the proof that God accepted his sacrifice and transfers the power of, or the keys of death, the keys of life. Where death is your sting? Sin, where's your power, right? In the resurrection, we find Christ becomes our refuge. He is the living refuge. He is the city of refuge. And only in him and only in his presence and staying in his presence will we find refuge, the kind of refuge our souls need. You know, one of the things that's interesting about uh, back there in the time, and we still do it today, where everybody locks their, their doors at night, right? Well, they would lock the cities um, at night. You didn't want to get attacked. You didn't know who would come in, and so obviously you would lock the cities. There were six cities that never locked their doors as long as Israel was a nation and those cities were in existence, and it was the cities of refuge. They never locked their door. Jesus said in John 6, whoever comes to me, I will never turn away. You won't find a locked door. The gates of Christ are are wide wide open, and I think he is saying today, run. Run to me. If you are full of bitterness, run to me. If you are filled with guilt, run to me. If you're consumed with sin and you can't stop fantasizing, you can't stop planning, you can't stop spending, run. Run and find refuge in Christ. If you have addictions, run. If you can't get over what somebody has done to you, run. If you feel like you don't deserve to be there, run anyway. If you're thinking about even suicide because life's so hard, run to Christ. Christ.
And it's just not about sin and it's not just about our guilt. Christ is this refuge from this world. And if you're overcome by worry, run, and anxiety, run, and depression, run. Run to him. If you have voices telling you, I just was talking to somebody who just says, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve anything. You don't know what I've done. There's no way I could get up here in this tub. No way. Run. You can. I don't care what you've done. Christ doesn't care what you've done. You're not worthless. You're not a lost cause. I don't know if voices are telling you that, the condemnation. You are not trash. Run! Run! Jesus said, I love this world so much. I gave my life for this world, for you. Run! Just run to me. I didn't come into this world to condemn it. I came in this world to save it. Run. If you run to him, you won't find the sword of the avenger of blood. You will find hands open with nail scars on them. Save God. Run. Tell him you need refuge. Ask him, can I just live in this city forever now? Never leave it. Tell him you need his his forgiveness. Tell him you accept his forgiveness. I know I need it.
light of the world forever reign. I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your Light of the world forever. Just pray, Lord. Pray in this moment, God, that you would you would just show each one of us new way how you are our refuge from sin this world Jesus that Paul talks about I want to know you I want to know the power of your resurrection pour that over us right now God is stirring your heart. Maybe as a Christian, you have just walked out of refuge, been on your own trying to do this thing, and you hear his call to come back. Come to him right now. And maybe this day is the first time you've ever thought about it. Maybe it's a big step for you just to say, I'm open, but tell him you're open. And maybe some of you today, you know what you need to do. You need to run to him. You need him. Don't let pride get in the way of this. Don't let something else get in the way of this. Just come to him. You just say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. Change this heart in me. Give me a new heart. I need your forgiveness. Thank you for that. I need you to save me. I need you to protect me. Just tell them in your own words. We're going to sing this next song. And just, if you want to come down, if you want prayer, come down. You need to run to Christ. Come down.